All right, good morning. We are going to, if you have your Bible or a smartphone device, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning uh, for, for much of the time that I'm with you. Um, appreciate the opportunity. You know, so if you haven't been here the last several weeks, uh, we're taking time uh, th- this week and next week we'll wrap up. Uh, we're taking time to look at Mount Calvary's mission and vision statement. Who are we as Mount Calvary supposed to be? What, is, what, what are the defining core values of our church and our ministries and, and what guides us uh, as we move forward? If you've missed the last two weeks, I'd encourage you to go to the website. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, Mike Robinson and Joe Duke started us off and, and, and challenged us to passionately pursue Christ, which is kind of the overarching principle, the overarching idea of who we are as a church and who we want to be. Last week, if you missed, I'd encourage you again to go out to the website to listen uh, to the sermon. Dr. Sheard looked at biblical teaching, and, and he, he challenged us. He asked us, he said, do we truly believe what we say we believe? Do we truly value Scripture as much as we say that we do in our lives? And then Ryan Martin last week challenged us to look at our hearts and ask, who and what are we worshiping? And so if you've missed those, I'd encourage you to go to the website. Today, uh, we're going to look at community, and then later in the service, Matt Allett's going to look at service uh, as, we, as we continue. So, but I wanted to start uh, with uh, community and what's in the document, what does it say, uh, because I think there, there's a lot of good truth and good foundation here. Uh, the team that put it together did a good job. So it says, the Bible describes believers as members of a body with the expectation that we all contribute to the body for a common purpose, the glory of God. Therefore, Mount Calvary Church is not simply a place to attend, but rather a community of people doing life together where everyone can be vulnerable, honest, accountable, and authentic. God's design for his people is not to live in isolation, but to live in relationships that demonstrate his love and good works. Our desire is to see people live in Christ-centered community. So what does that look like corporately? Um, It says Mount Calvary uh, Church is committed to nurturing a culture of community. We'll provide opportunities for people to live and grow in community by participating in Sunday services, various group ministries, and serving others together. Right, so this is this is our ladies' Bible study. This is moms. This is life groups. This is Sunday school. These are the opportunities that that, that we have to do life together, and that we're uh, making a priority as a part of our church ministry. Personally, as a result of love for God and desire to glorify God, glorify God, glorify Him, true believers will passionately pursue Christ by living authentic, transparent lives and investing in one another for the purpose of biblical community. And globally, knowing that the gospel of Christ brings us all into God's greater community, we will strive to build gospel communities among all peoples by developing relationships in our neighborhoods, area of influence, and around the world. So I'm not going to walk through each of the, uh, each of the three areas specifically today. Uh, and we're going to look, as we look at Ephesians chapter 4, I want us to look at kind of what is essential for developing community. Uh, what's essential for us as a church to have true uh, community, and we're going to be looking at Ephesians 4. But I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump in. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, our desire here at Mount Calvary is that you be lifted high and you be exalted. Lord, I pray that you would help us 
to make everything that we do and everything that we seek to do and say in our lives to be about you and to bring you glory and to honor and magnify your name. God, you have been so gracious and good to us beyond anything that we could ever really truly ask and deserve. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your spirit today, Lord, that you would draw us to you, Lord, that you would, you would help convict us of sin in our lives, Lord, that you would uh, help us to, to, to rest and treasure your forgiveness and your grace. God, you were good, and Lord, help us to see that in scripture today. It's in your name. Amen. So the first thing I want us to see about community is that we cannot have biblical community without unity. We cannot have biblical community without unity. And I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity in the spirit of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just you are also were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now, verse 1 starts with the word therefore. And I was taught that when there's a therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. Okay, so we got to look back at, at the first three chapters. The therefore in chapter 4, verse 1, refers to what's happened and what Paul has said uh, throughout the last three chapters. And so I'm going to give you a brief, <laughs> super brief uh, look at chapter 1, 2, and 3. In chapter 1, Paul says that they have been adopted as sons and daughters of uh, of God in Jesus Christ. He says, he reminds them that they've been redeemed through his blood and that Christ has forgiven us of our sins and the riches of his grace, right? So he says, his, this is the foundation of the relationships that we have together is the fact that we are brothers and sisters. We are daughters and sons of Jesus, of, of God in Jesus Christ. And we have been redeemed by him. Chapter two says we have been made alive in Christ, Right? We were dead in our transgressions. We were helpless in our sin. And yet we are made alive through Jesus Christ, uh, through his sacrifice and his atonement on the cross. But we have been saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves, but a gift of God. He reminds, Paul reminds us very clearly. So as we think about community and we, we, we wrestle in our hearts about, am I more important than somebody else, right? And if we're, if we're honest, most of us struggle with that, but we elevate ourselves above somebody else because we're better, right? We do more, we serve better, we, we contribute more, whatever it is. But the reality is when we look at Ephesians chapter two, we have nothing to offer. We are all saved by grace through faith, and it's a gift. Chapter 3 speaks of how the gospel is for all peoples. Um, it, re, believe it or not, right, the early church suffered and struggled with division. They, they suffered from division, from, uh, from, eth from ethnicity, right? Some were Jews and some were Gentiles. They struggled. Some were, uh, some were masters and some were slaves. They struggled in this. But in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says that, uh, that all who believe, whether they're Jews or Gentiles, they are all made fellow heirs together in Christ. And so as we come to chapter 4, Paul says those things, and Paul calls us to unity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work the last three verses and then go backwards. So in verses 4 through 6, right? In verses 4 through 6, he says that we're one body, one spirit, uh, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. 
in this room and we as the church recognizes that, recognize that there will be differences among us. Some of us are going to send our kids to public school and some of us are going to send our kids to Christian school. And some of us are going to raise our kids in, in, in homeschool. Right? There's going to be differences among us. Some of us will prefer hymns. Others will prefer contemporary music. Some of us will wish that the music was a little quieter. And some of us wish that as people drove by, they could hear every word that we're saying. Right? I mean, there's differences among us. The color of our skin may be different. Our family background and history may be different. Some of us may have been raised in Christian homes. And some of us may have come to Christ later in life. There, we, we may come from different economic and social settings. We may struggle with different sins and different idols of the heart like Ryan talked about last week. We may have different views on, on how to go about doing the work of God that God has called us together. Those are all things that could divide us and separate us and pull us apart. But the reality is that which unites us is greater than that. That which pulls us together is better than that which can divide us. If we are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you believe and have trusted in Jesus Christ with your life, the greatest thing that has ever happened to you in your life is what unites us together. Because by grace, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, that in him we might have forgiveness and atonement for our sins. It's the greatest thing. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that trumps your marriage, that trumps the birth of your kids, that trumps the greatest promotion or the opportunity or vacation or whatever it might be. The greatest thing that has ever happened in your life is that you have believed in Jesus Christ. Right? Right? I mean, do you believe that? We struggle, right? We struggle. There's other things that are really good in life. But that's the greatest thing that can happen to any of us is that we can believe in Jesus Christ. We can be adopted into the family. He makes us new, and that's what unites us. We have a God that loves us, that when he looked down upon us in our sin and despair, he had compassion. He said they can't save themselves, and so he sent his son that we might have a way, that we might have a redeemer. And together, one day, one day, and BJ, you spoke of this. I mean, one day we will get to stand together in his glory, in the presence of God Almighty, and we will get to sing hallelujah for the rest of our lives. That is what unites us, the fact that we have a Savior and Redeemer. The Bible says that that day is going to be a great day, that, that, that we won't even need the sun anymore because his glory will be so bright. When we focus on the amazing wonder of God and the glory of Christ, our differences are small. They're tiny. Because when I look at you, I say, you love Jesus and I love Jesus, and that's all that really matters. Because it's about him. It's about the Savior. It's about the, the creator of the entire world and the God of the entire universe. Our differences are small and insignificant. But when we make it about ourselves... When we focus on ourselves, our differences seem monumental. When we talk about community, it has to rest on who Jesus Christ is. It has to rest on what he has done in and through us. And we have any hope of having relationships. We cannot have biblical community without unity. And the second thing is we cannot have biblical community without a proper view of ourselves and others. 
Someone asked me, uh, we were in Kentucky, and when we were in Kentucky, somebody asked me, uh, we were just catching up, said, why does the church hurt each other so much? And I told them, well, it's because the church is full of sinners. We are made new, but we have not yet shed this sinful body and flesh that we live in. And we are still struggle and fight against it. In verse 1, so if we come back to Ephesians 4 in verse 1, Paul implores us, he, he, he pleads with us uh, to, to walk in a manner worthy of, a call, of our calling. And that calling is the adoption that we've received in, in Jesus Christ, that sons and daughters that have been adopted into the family of God. He says, walk in a manner worthy of that. It's this calling that you have been saved by grace through faith, and it's a gift. It's not of yourselves. Right? This is the calling that Paul is imploring us to walk in. And then in verse 2, he tells us, what does that look like? And so when we talk about community, this is what community looks like. With all humility... And gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Well, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you do that? I think what's essential is that we have to recognize the depth and the, the, the depravity that we ourselves stand in. We have to recognize how, how truly ugly and complete our sin is and how utterly powerless we are to do anything apart from it, about it apart from Christ. And when we understand the wretchedness and the wickedness that lives within us, that even our best efforts are nothing. Even our best efforts are, are dirty rags before God. Then we come to the cross and we are overwhelmed that God in his compassion and his mercy chose to save us. He chose to save us. I, there are days that I think that I'm a blessing to God. <laughs> right? I mean, there are days that I think, oh God, you did a good thing when you saved me and brought me into the kingdom. And look how I can serve you. Those are not the days that I'm walking with him, okay? Those are the days that in my pride and in my self-centeredness, I think I am better than I actually am. In reality, I am nothing. And God chose to save me. I bring him nothing. He does not need me, right? He does not need me. He does not need me to accomplish some great purpose or some uh, great need. He can do it without me. And yet he chose to save me, and he chose to give me an opportunity to serve him in his kingdom and among his family and among my brothers and sisters. See, when we recognize that we are nothing, and yet God looked upon us and says, you are undeserving, but I love you despite that, and you are worth it in my eyes to send my son to die upon the cross. We are amazed by that. We are amazed. So when we have a proper view of who we are and a proper view of others, it makes community much easier. It makes walking in humility and gentleness and patience, right? So when I struggle with sin and I see that God is patient with me, and when I struggle with sin and God is faithful to me to restore me and bring me back into right relationship with him, then when my brother or when my sister sins, 
even if it's against me, then I can have patience with them because God has had patience with me. I can have grace and show humility and gentleness to them because God has shown grace and gentleness and mercy to me. See, we have to recognize, we have to recognize who we are so that we can be in right relationship with one another. And then our expectations of each other are right. We hold a high standard. We are to be worthy of the calling that God has called us to. And yet in that, I can be gentle and patient and kind because I know that you struggle with it just as much as I do. True biblical community cannot happen without a proper understanding or proper view of ourselves and of others. See, it's not natural. It's not natural. When we get hurt by someone, we get angry. When we feel like we can't trust someone, we, we slander or disparage or tear them down. When someone sins against us, we store a bitterness and wrath in our hearts. And I know this because this is me. This is my heart. I've done this. I've stored up bitterness and wrath towards others in my heart. When I've not been gracious and forgiving like I needed to. They didn't deserve it. Right? They don't have to deserve forgiveness and grace and mercy. Because you didn't deserve grace and mercy and forgiveness. John 13 verse 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love, if you have love for one another. That's what we want Mount Calvary Church to be. That when people look at us, when your neighbors and your coworkers in the communities that you live in, when they find out that you go to Mount Calvary Church, they know and they say, that's a church that loves each other. That's a church that forgives and is gracious and is kind and gentle. They believe in the holiness of God and they hold it high in their standard and their walk and they seek to bring glory to him and yet they are gentle and gracious and kind and forgiving with one another. That they see a people that are deeply and passionately love one another. That they see people who forgive the deepest pains and are defined by humility and gentleness. They see people who are patient with one another just as God has been with them. They see people who have the attitude of Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. We can't forgive and we can't trust and we can't love until we have a proper view of ourselves, of how unlovable we are, of how, how untrustworthy we are, of how undeserving of forgiveness we are. And in having a proper view of ourselves, standing in awe that Christ chose to love us, the end of chapter 4, Ephesians verses 31 and 32 tells us, it says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So about a, about a week and a half ago, um, we were in Kentucky for my father's memorial and um, my aunt and two of my uncles came to Kentucky, and I haven't seen, my family didn't grow up. We weren't really close to the rest of my family. My brother, my dad was one of uh, eight 
or nine children. My aunt said eight, but my dad had always said nine um, growing up. And so I hadn't seen my aunt and my uncles um, since I was eight years old. And so last week we went to Kentucky and they drove out from California and, um, and, and they were there. And my aunt, uh, one, of, one of the eight children, she stood up and she said, you know, our mom died when, you know, 30, 30 plus years ago. She said, our mom, when our mom died, we lost our hub. We lost what pulled us together and brought us together. And she said, we lost touch. They lost touch until last year when one of their brothers had terminal cancer and he died. And, and that brought them back together. She said they lost their hub and they lost touch. And some of them didn't speak for 30 years. Others that had stayed in touch, they allowed disagreements and arguments to, to get in the way. And they lost touch for, for decades at a time. They lost their hub, what pulled them together. And for us as the church, when we substitute other things for our passionate pursuit of Christ, when we lose him as our hub and as our center and as what pulls us together and unites us, when it's something else, whatever it is, it can be something good, but when it's something other than the passionate pursuit of Christ, then we will not be united. We will not have community. That is when we allow anger and wrath and bitterness to take root in our hearts. That's when we're not patient and gentle with one another. That's when we don't forgive and we aren't kind and tenderhearted towards one another. Passionately pursuing Christ. When we're looking towards him and we're chasing after him, everything else seems really small because the kingdom, the kingdom is bigger than us. And there are people that we live amongst and around and work with that do not know Jesus Christ and they need to know him. But it's not too late. Forgiveness and grace and restoration and reconciliation are some of the most beautiful and profound pictures in Scripture and the most wonderful displays of the gospel that we can see in this life is when reconciliation and restoration and grace are displayed in community. So verse 3, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If we want community, life groups don't create community. (laughs) Bible studies don't create community. Community happens when we're passionately pursuing Christ together. We're diligently seeking to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's pray. God, you are gracious and wonderful to us. God, I pray that in this church that you would transform us and, and make us into this community that, that is, is, it is defined by what you've done in our lives and by recognition of who we are and, and who we are apart from you. God, I pray that, that, that passionately pursuing you would unite us despite our differences. Lord, that, that we can treasure the, the different ways that you have made us, uh, the different passions and the different gifts that you have given to us. God, that, that in that we see the picture of different sons and daughters that have been adopted into your family. God, I pray that you help us to, to lift you high and to exalt you, Lord, to keep our eyes focused on you. Lord, I pray that you would, 
You, you would heal our hearts where, where we're broken. Lord, that you would help us to see where we need to forgive. Lord, where we've stored up anger and wrath or bitterness or malice. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, uh, Lord, that you would help us to, to understand the depth of our own sin and how much you've done to forgive us. And Lord, that we might forgive others. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be that church that is loving and kind and gentle and patient because those are the things that you've done and those are the things that you've displayed to us in our lives. God, thank you for choosing to save us, to choosing to offer us salvation when we could, be, we could never be deserving of it. God, you are good. Lord, help us to see how good and how great you are. It's in your name. If you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 4. Sounds familiar. I want you to know uh, God is a pretty cool God. And uh, Ray emailed me and said, hey, so where are you going to be in your message this week? And I said, "Uh, Ephesians 4. And he said, well, first said Galatians 4, but I think it was a typo. And then he's like, no, I'm going to be in Ephesians 4 too. I was like, whoa. That's awesome. All right, well, it's always a privilege to, to be with you, and I, I'm really thankful for the opportunity I have. We're going to talk about service now for the next uh, several moments as one of the components to our mission and vision statement and what that looks like. So the question I want us to wrap our minds around, I'm going to say this maybe 100 times, probably not 100, maybe 30 times, how can I serve? Everybody say that. How can I serve? Let's try it again. How can I serve? That's the question I want you to ask yourself. That's the question I'm going to ask myself, again, probably like 30 times this morning. How can I serve? That's right. That's what I want us to think about. So as we go through, uh, we're going to look at three passages of Scripture, and we're going to think about what our mission statement says in regards to service. That's the question I want you to ask yourself. How can I serve? How can I serve? Now, I'm not going to say anything that is mind-blowing. I'm not going to say anything that is extremely deep theologically because service is really where the rubber meets the road, right? Either you serve or you don't. This is a practical application of what we claim to believe. Either you do it or you don't. We have all the motivation in the world, right, through what God has done for us through his son Jesus, and either we're going to respond in service or we're not. It's as simple as that. There's nothing deep and philosophical about it. But as we begin this morning, I want us to do so. I want us to think about, in, in, uh, by way of uh, example, a fireman, right? For each of our uh, statements in our mission vision statement, there are three sections underneath each one. They are uh, corporately, personally, and globally. And I want us to think about our service, and I think that our service can very easily be seen in the example of a firefighter, right? A firefighter better be ready personally, right? Firefighter has to work out, firefighter has to be in good shape, get plenty of sleep, uh, be sharp mentally, has to take care of his personal self. True? Firefighter also has to take care of the equipment that he uses, the firehouse. He has to clean that. He has to make sure the fire trucks are working, all the equipment, the hoses, everything is in its proper place and ready to go. Right? So that's their, the fire hall is their, uh, their body. 
And then ultimately, the fireman needs to be ready to respond when there's a crisis in the community. And they need to go out and meet that need. If there's a need there, they need to meet it. And if we can think about our service in that context, I think it's really helpful for us. Are we serving personally? Am I taking care of myself? Am I studying the word of God? Am I doing what God has commanded me to do? Am I in close community with him to the point where I am ready to serve and I am serving? Am I serving Mount Calvary Church? Right, that's the second piece. Just like the fireman takes care of the fire hall, the fire truck, the fire hoses, all the equipment, are we taking care of, are we serving in our body here? Am I taking care of you? Are you taking care of me? Are we ensuring that Mount Calvary Church is running smoothly and successfully to accomplish God's purpose for us? And then obviously the third step is pretty obvious, right? When there's a crisis outside of these walls, when there's a crisis in Elizabethtown, when there's a crisis in whatever community you come from, is Mount Calvary Church there to meet that need? And ultimately, that's how we're going to see people come to Jesus, right? Is by serving, is by being engaged in the community around us. So as we go through this morning, as we think about service, I want us to do so in that context of the firefighter. And again, I want us each to ask, how can I serve? (laughs) All right, so we're in Ephesians chapter 4. I want to start kind of at the end. I want to start with the goal, what ultimately comes out of, what is the result of our service? So if you're in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 11, and we're going to read down uh, a few verses here. Let's start in verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service. You are in this church, you are a child of God to perform works of service. That's your job. I think about Ephesians 2.10, right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace we have been saved through faith, not of ourselves, is the gift of God, not by works that anyone can boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared for in advance that we might walk in them. Your function, my function as a child of God is to perform works of service. And ultimately, that's why you and I should be coming to church. Again, we should all be thinking in our minds, when you walked in this morning, how can I serve? There we go. I'll I'll indicate that, I guess. All right. How can I serve? Good. To prepare God's people for works of service. That's why you and I are here. If you are here, if you're attending Mount Calvary Church and you're not serving in some capacity, you're not doing what God planned for you to do. Notice the goal, though. I said that there is kind of an end goal, an a outcome of service and Appropriately enough, it is exactly what Ray just told us about. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up 
right? Built up, that's not only number, right? We can bring people in, but also each of us are growing until we all reach unity in the faith. The reason you serve is for unity. I loved Ray's message, right? Community is so important. We need to be together. We need to be uh, engaged with each other. We need to be helping each other. And that's not always the case. Sometimes disunity creeps into any group of people, especially people who are close with each other, right? The people who are closest to you hurt you the most, right? They let you down the most. But how do we get unity? Paul tells us it's by serving each other. Let me give you a scenario. And I'm going to talk a little bit more at the end about my personal life. Um, but let me, let me just uh, give you a scenario. So I, uh, I come home from work. I'm tired. It's been a long day. None of my students listen to me. You know, I got 37 middle schoolers in one class, and I'm just like, guys, shh, guys, shh, shh, shh. I'm exhausted, right? So I come home. I plop down in my recliner. I turn on the TV, and I just vegetate. Maybe you share a similar experience. Maybe you've ever... Maybe you feel like that. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I feel like that all the time. I sit down in my recliner, turn on the TV, vegetate. Does that breed unity between me and my wife? No, it does not. No. That is not helpful, right? But sometimes... We treat going to church exactly the same way. We come in, we find our seat, the same one every week. We sit in it, and we vegetate. How can we have unity? How can we be joined together in our pursuit of Christ if all of us, or most of us, or some of us, or any of us are sitting here vegetating every week? Do you see? It cannot work. We cannot hope to achieve unity and community unless we're actively involved in serving each other. How can I serve? Let's keep reading. So one of the goals, one of the results of our service is unity. Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Ultimately, that unity leads to maturity. It leads to health. It leads to a group of people who are singular in focus in our service and pursuit of Jesus Christ. We would all say that as a church, that's what we want, right? We all want to be mature, dedicated, focused followers of Jesus. In order to get there, we must be united in our purpose and mission. We must be united together in community. And in order to get that unity, it requires that we serve each other. All goes back to service. Taking what we know and putting it into action. That's the goal. That's the result of our service. Unity and ultimately maturity. So if that's your desire, and I hope it is, that's my desire as a church, it starts with us serving each other. 
Let's look at another passage. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 20. How can I serve? So again, we've looked at the goal or the result of our service. I want to look now at uh, an interesting uh, narrative that occurs uh, with Jesus and some of his followers. I want to look at the importance of service. So look at the goal of service, the result of service, right? That's unity, maturity. Now let's look at the importance of service. Matthew 20, we're going to start in verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Service is critical to your Christian health, to my Christian health. If I'm not serving, if you're not serving, you are not a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. How would you describe how the 12 were responding to each other? There was disunity there, right? Why was there disunity? Because it wasn't, oh, John, let me, how can I serve you? It was James and John and their mother saying, oh, we should be better than Peter and Andrew and Philip, right? The moment you put yourself above others, disunity occurs. Happens right here with the with the apostles. Again, service is critical to your Christian life, to my Christian life. The importance of service. Ultimately, that is Jesus' mission, right? He came to serve and ultimately to give his life. We know that we're here to follow his example. Which means in order for us to do that, we need to be committed to serving others. Let's look at one more passage. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. How can I serve? John chapter 13. It's a familiar passage. Uh, so we've looked at the goal or the result of service. We've looked at the importance of service. And finally, before uh, I wrap up my time with you this morning, we're going to look at the command to serve, right? John 13. Let's start in verse 4. 
So he, that is Jesus, got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Serving is not optional. Jesus, right here, gives us and his disciples a clear command. Just as I have served you, you also need to serve each other. That is the only way you can find success in the Christian life. How can I serve? I want to talk briefly, we're going to get to some application here in a moment, but I want to talk briefly about um, my own personal life. God has been doing some really neat things in my life just this week, in fact. Had a good conversation with my wife. Now, she doesn't know that I'm going to talk about this. I don't want to embarrass her, but basically, she came to me in a very respectful way and said that basically I've been an average husband for a while. Oh, and she's right. And the reason is because of just what I mentioned before. I have not been a part of my household. I have not been actively engaged with my wife, with my kids, in serving them. That's a hard thing to wrestle with, man. You know, it's hard when someone tells you the truth and it's, you know, like a dagger to you and the only thing you can say is, you got me, you're right. You're right. I've been an average husband for a while. I remember right after we got married, uh, this doesn't happen very often, but sometimes I'll, uh, nothing says I love you like doing the dishes, am I right? Man, I cannot tell you the depth of my hatred for doing the dishes. I mean, it is off the charts. But I remember being a a young married uh, man. I remember doing the dishes one day, and, and Julie came home. Maybe she was out shopping or something, and she comes back in, and I say, you know, this is absolute proof that I love you. Because I absolutely hate this. Oh boy, do I hate it. But a long time ago, I stopped doing things like that. And I would just come home. And I would just sit in my chair. And I would just watch TV. And I would just you know, tell my kids to go downstairs and play or do something like that. 
and I'd wait for dinner, for dinner to be ready, and then I'd go sit at the table, and I would eat dinner. And then when that was over, I'd go back to my chair until it was time to put the kids in bed, and then I'd put the, help Julie put the kids in bed. I at least did something. So I said average. I'd help put the kids in bed, and then I'd go right back down to that chair. I came up with all kinds of excuses. I'm tired. It's been a long day. By the way, saying you're tired to a wife of four young kids, not a good idea. Not a good idea. I come up with all kinds of excuses. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I broke my neck. That was a few years ago now. <laughs> but that's what I do. I come up with all kinds of excuses. Instead of saying, you know what? I love my wife. I love my kids. And the only way for me to show that or to prove that or to be a part of this family is to serve them. So not to toot my own horn. Julie went to the store, and Daniel and I cleaned the whole house <laughs> this week. I forget what day it was. Cleaned the whole house. I'm not promising to do that all the time. But, <laughs> but the point is, Sometimes we treat church like that, right? Just like I was treating my wife and kids. We treat church like that. We come, we sit, it's over, we go home. We're never going to have unity. We're never going to have maturity. We are never going to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish unless each one of us is committed to serving. How can I serve? starts personally, right? Me and my family, me, you know, training myself, being in the Word of God, praying, exercising my spiritual life. It comes here. How can I serve here? How can you serve here? You need to be asking yourself that question. How can I serve? How can I serve? How can I serve? So when you walk through these doors, it's a ministry. That's what we're preparing you to do. That's what I'm being prepared to do are those works of service for each other. Now that can be by being involved in a particular ministry, helping out in the nursery, teaching Sunday school, yes, but it, it goes far beyond that. I've got to be honest with you again. You know, This is like me confessing right now. There are some of you, I've been going to church here for almost two years, and some of you I see every week and, and I don't know your name. How terrible is that? I'm sorry for that. Like if we're going to be a community of people, how can we do so? How can we serve each other if we don't know each other? So if I shake your hand today, just kind of, oh, hi, my name's so-and-so, by the way. That would be helpful to me. But seriously, I'm sure that there are people that you don't know their name in this room that you've been going to church with for a long time. And then as we do that, as we grow unity, maturity, now we can branch out. We can reach out to the community. There are lost and dying people, feet from where we are right now. What are we doing to serve them? What are we doing to reach them? What ministry can we, can we create or start or what can we do personally just to go and knock on doors and love people and serve people? A 
Again, this is nothing new. We know these things. Sometimes it's time to just make it happen. And I think as a church, that's where we are. We're kind of at a crossroads, right? We've been, you know, kind of recovering from everything we've been through, and we've been healing. But now it's time to go. Now it's time to serve. Now it's time to be actively involved. How can I serve? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you that you love us unconditionally. Father, we know that we often fail. And Father, I pray that you would forgive us. Father, I pray that as we uh, finish our time together this morning, that we would be thinking, how can I serve? How can I serve my own family? How can I serve my neighbors, my community? How can I serve Mount Calvary Church? Father, I pray that you would help us, that you would, in your spirit, strengthen us. Father, I pray that we would see it as now being the time to serve. Help us all to step up and do what we need to do. Not come to church to vegetate, but come to church to serve. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been great to be together this morning and hear English. Uh, that, that's, that's good uh, to worship in, in English. It's good to be back from Mexico, and, and it's great just to come together and sing about our good, good father. And to know that he loved us so much that he adopted us into his family. And not only did he bring us into his family, but he's given us gifts and abilities to use. I'm thankful for Ray and for Matt uh, sharing some, some solid, solid truth this morning and being challenged by that. And as, as we talk about passionately pursuing Christ. And I hope you'll join us next Sunday as we kind of wrap up our, uh, uh, kind of our vision with talking about missions. And our team from Mexico is going to share next Sunday about our experience in Mexico. And, and so I hope you'll come out and, and hear about that and, and, and just hear about the last part, the last core value of, of, of kind of our vision of passionately pursuing Christ, and that's missions. And so also next Sunday, it's Fourth of July weekend. We do not have Sunday school. We'll just have our morning worship service and directly following the morning worship service, we'll have a congregational business meeting to talk about the opportunity for uh, purchasing a property next door uh, to, to our property here. And so uh, we'll give you some more details about that next week. Also, uh, coming up at the end of this month, if you're interested or, or you're, maybe some of your kids are interested in pursuing uh, uh, baptism, following Christ's example and being baptized on July 30th that evening, we're going to have a baptismal service at the Rutz House like we do every summer. It's a great opportunity just to, to worship around the pool and see others uh, take that step of faith and follow uh, Christ's example and, and publicly declare, hey, I, I'm not ashamed. I, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And so, hey, thank you so much for being here this morning and, and for worshiping with us as we, as we leave this morning. Hey, let's, let's not make any more excuses, right? Let's embrace service, realizing that service leads to unity and community. And it leads to maturity. And think about the last time someone came up to you and said, how can I serve you? Can you think about the last time? It I can. Someone, a few people have done that to me in the last few weeks. And I was like, wow, I can't remember the last time someone actually said that to me. But imagine if we were that kind of community that 
that we went up to one another and said, hey, how can I serve you today? Let's stop making excuses. Let's embrace it, realizing service leads to community and it leads to maturity. We each have gifts and abilities that God wants to use here. How are you going to use it? Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. We will see you next week.